Thank you for listening to this podcast. The Ville Church provides all its resources for free. If you have been blessed by this ministry, please consider giving financially. For more information on how to give and other resources, please visit www.theville.church. Jesus is and was both a thug and a plug. Let me explain that a little bit. You know, in Jesus' day, Jesus was considered a thug by the population, if you think about it. I mean, his teachings challenged the laws of the time. And he, was, he wasn't violent. He wasn't hurting others violently or physically, but he was considered lawless because he wouldn't support the unjust practices of the leaders of his day. So they, they considered him a thug. I mean, that's pretty obvious in the way he was killed. I mean, who else would be crucified but people considered thugs? So they killed Jesus that way. So in his day, he was considered a thug. But at the same time, it's interesting, by his death on the cross for the sins of the world, he became the plug to connect us to God. He's the only one who can fill the gap between us and God caused by our sinfulness. Only Jesus. And he's the only one to fill the purposeless vacuum in our lives. A French uh, mathematician and theologian in the 17th century, Blaise Pascal, once said, there is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of each man which cannot be satisfied by any created thing, but only by God the Creator, made known through Jesus Christ. We have a vacuum within us that only God through Jesus can fill. So I'd like to look at an episode of Jesus' life where, to me, he is both a thug and a plug. Bear with me as I go through this. It opened my eyes to some things this week as I thought about it, but that's true. In Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 50, we will read some of the verses and I'll share some things and we'll go back to the story. But it says, when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with them, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. And then she wiped them with her hair and kissed them and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. I thought about the difference between Jesus and this Pharisee. I thought, why would this Pharisee invite Jesus to his house? I mean, Jesus was an itinerant, uneducated in the eyes of the Pharisees at the time, the religious leaders. He was a teacher from Nazareth, but he's uneducated. He didn't, he didn't fit in. And Nazareth was a little town a podunk village of about 120 people. I mean, Nazareth was so bad that in John chapter 1, when Philip met Jesus, he went to talk, go and call his friend Nathaniel, and he told him, he said, uh, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. When, Naz when Nathaniel heard Nazareth, he explained, Nazareth, can anything good come out of Nazareth? I mean, Nazareth was a, a nothing place. There's nothing good comes out of Nazareth. And on the other hand, this Pharisee, in his eyes, he was a respected, educated man. 
probably living in a, the prosperous city of Capernaum, which was one of the chief cities of the day. So why would he want Jesus at his house? Well, Jesus was beginning to get a following, and he was being noticed by the religious leaders. Maybe this Pharisee wanted to see if he could bring Jesus in line with the power structure of the day. Since Jesus hadn't been properly educated in the schools of the day, uh, maybe he could teach him the ropes of how religious business was practiced. And if he could harness Jesus' potential and power for the religious right of the day, it would both benefit Jesus and his group. Also, if Jesus continued to gain popularity among the masses, this could cause some conflict between the religious sects because they didn't agree. And he knew they didn't need conflict under Roman rule. It would show a sign of weakness. They need to be unified in some way. Or on the other hand, maybe he was looking for a way to discredit Jesus and nip his fledgling spiritual movement in the bud. Maybe he was looking for dirt on Jesus. Well, if he was looking for dirt, Jesus certainly gave him some by letting this sinful woman touch him as she did. In this Pharisee's mind, a prophet had to keep himself clean from the sinfulness of the world if he wanted to maintain his image as a prophet. No prophet worth his salt would even go near a woman like this, let alone let her touch him. So in his eyes, he, 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 was, he couldn't figure this out. What was Jesus doing? Why would he, if he was really a prophet, why would he let this woman touch him? The story continues, and Jesus begins to, and playing with these words, thug and, and plug, I begin to make up some new words, so bear with me. I thought Jesus begins to thug this Pharisee, this Pharisee. So Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. He says, tell me, teacher. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, well, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt, forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Though it's interesting, the story says Jesus answered him. He didn't speak to Jesus. It says before, it says in, in his mind, he thought to himself. But it was the same as speaking to Jesus because Jesus knows their thoughts. I thought, that's pretty powerful. I need to remember that. Whether I speak it or not, Jesus knows what I'm thinking. And so Jesus spoke to the man. He answered him like he had spoken to him. And the point of the example that Jesus gave was to show that we are all indebted to God because of our sinfulness. Some people's sinfulness may be more obvious, but that's just because some of us are better at hiding our sinful actions. The Pharisee judged the woman more, more obvious sins, but according to Scripture, his judging her and judging Jesus was as sinful, just as sinful, because there is only one judge. We are all sinners. In Romans 3, and 23, it says, There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Years ago, I was invited to go to a prison with a church in my home. We have a friend of ours who's been imprisoned now for over 30 years. And they would go every year at Christmas to visit him, and they asked me to go with them and to, uh, to give a message. And I had really never visited a prison before that time. And I grew up, and in my mind, only bad people are in prison, not good people like me. And so I was a bit, you know, uh, fearful in some ways or 
I didn't know what to expect. So when I got there, though, and they let us in through all the doors and, and everything, we got into where the, the prisoners were being held, and they were joining for a worship service. I began to talk to some of them and meet them, interact with them. Pretty quickly, I realized there's no difference between this man and, and me. I, I said, if we change clothes, I would be staying there, and he would be walking out. They wouldn't know a difference. And, and, and it hit me. I thought, the only difference really between him and me in God's eyes is that he was caught for what he did. In God's eyes, I'm as guilty as he. I can't, I can't look down. I can't say they're bad and I'm good. In God's eyes, we're all sinful. There's no difference. That was very eye-opening to me. It changed my mind. Then I heard about a, a trial of a former Nazi concentration camp guard years ago. And at the trial, one of the survivors was there to see this man get justice for the brutal way he had treated him in the camp. And he was looking forward to see this guard face his fate. And in the story, it says the, that he was waiting for the man to come into the courtroom because he wanted to see him for the first time after all these years. And so when they brought him in the courtroom and he saw him for the first time, he became so emotional he just started weeping. And for several minutes, he was just weeping. Uh, and then he composed himself, and they went on with the, the proceedings. And afterwards, a reporter who was there and saw what was happening, he met this survivor, and he said, what was happening when you saw the man? Were you remembering all the things that he did to you? And I was just overwhelming you, your memories. And he said, no, what happened at that time when I saw him come in that room, and he, in my mind, was the personification of evil, the way he treated me. He said, he looked just like me. He said, I didn't see any difference. He didn't have his uniform of authority on, and he couldn't treat me in any way. But I realized the evil that he gave me, I have it within me. And he said, I was unbearable. I couldn't, I couldn't think of that. We are all sinful. In Psalms 51, 5, it says, surely I was sinful at birth. Sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Some of us believe that children were born with a clean slate. And sinful desires, which leads to actions, are learned from our environment. My experience as a parent and working with all y'all's kids in Sunday school showed me something different. You know, I've never met a child, even my own, that was always willing to share. I've never met that. You know? And then... And I've never had to teach my children or others to say no or mine. Somehow they picked that up really fast. And especially, I don't, I've never had to teach a child, go get that toy from that child. Go grab it and just jerk it from his head. Don't ask him, just grab it. And I've never had to tell you, if he grabs it, go ahead and hit him. You know, beat him in the head. I, they, 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 where does that come from? You know? For me, I think it just it reinforces that we are selfish by nature. Because we are born in sin. We're sinful at birth. And I think it becomes worse with age. It doesn't get better. You know, maybe I'll grow up. I'll be more mature. I just learned more mature as a way of, of sinning. One of the Ten Commandments I think we broke almost every day is you shall not lie. We may have even broken that when we were having meeting greet. Someone said, how are you? What would you say? I'm fine. I'm good. Were you really? Maybe you were, hopefully, but if you weren't, did we not lie? I mean, it happens. I do it all the time. Or but what about if we we're buying something online? You know, and you're going through and you get to this one part. It says, check this box next to the statement. I have read the sales agreement. 
What do you do? Click. Do we not do that? I mean, who reads the sales agreement? Connie was telling me about a lady that decided to read it, and in the middle of it, there was a statement, if you have read this far, you have a chance to, if you contact us, to get a cash prize. So she did, she got $10,000. Because she was honest, she read it, said she was. But how often do we do that? We have European friends who say we as Americans are the worst at telling the truth. They say if we attend someone's music performance or a recital of some kind, and they don't do well, they, they have a lot of mistakes, and they don't do well, what do we say if we meet them afterwards? We'll say, oh, good job, you know? You did good, I, I really enjoyed that. They said, you're lying. You can enjoy that, it was so bad you can enjoy it. And so um, they said, when we said, we, well, we're just trying to encourage them. They said, you encourage them with a lie? How does that work? And so we'd say, okay, to our European friends, what do you say? And they replied, you tried. We appreciate your effort, you know. They were telling the truth. I mean, what do you, what do, you do? I have a friend, a young friend who plays basketball, and I've gone to watch him play. And one time he played so poorly, and they were beaten so badly, that afterwards I, I said, what do I say? You know, if I go up to him and say, good job, good game. They're lies. He knew it wasn't a good job. He knew he didn't play well. He knew it was a good game. So I thought about it for a bit, and so finally I decided to say, I'm glad I came to watch you play. I could say that. I was glad I, I was there to cheer him on, even though it wasn't good. But I have to say, check my heart, because that's, that's just part of who I am. I don't know if I'm trying to protect myself, or I don't know, but we break that all the time. And it's interesting, according to Scripture, in James chapter 2.20, it says, for whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. Can any of us say, I've never told a lie? And we can say, well, that, that, that's a small thing. You know, telling someone good after a performance, that, that's not a big thing. But God says, you shall not lie. Are we breaking that? And then it, to me, it kind of gets beyond, it goes, if this, if this one works out for me, maybe I'll tell a bigger one. Maybe I'll tell something more. Maybe it'll get, maybe the lies get really bad. That's what scripture says. We are all sinners. We all fall short. Whether we fall a mile short or one inch short, we all fall short. The question is, will we respond like this sinful lady and repent, or will we respond like the self-righteous Pharisee, seeing others' sins but not our own? So Jesus, in telling this story, he became a thug in this Pharisee's life to say, you know, she had a greater debt. Then the story finishes with Jesus becoming this lady's plug to God. It says, then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss. But this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your sins, your faith has saved you, go in peace. 
in the culture of the day, hospitality, and even in the Middle East at the moment, hospitality is a very strong value with much fuss made over guests. And it's interesting, in this example, Jesus was treated very differently in this, by this uh, Pharisee. Usually the guests were provided water because they walked everywhere they went and they wore sandals and their feet were dirty and they would sit on the floor to eat with their feet behind them but they were close to the table, not like for us where the feet are lower, they were right there with them. So they were given water to wash their feet so that it becomes a more pleasant experience for everyone. Um, and then sometimes olive oil, scented olive oil was placed on their heads to make it more of a, a pleasant experience for all. And then all the welcomed and beloved guests would be greeted with a kiss. Uh, maybe you've seen in some cultures and other places we've lived, you kiss on each cheek to say, I am so glad you're my friend. But Simon the Pharisee didn't offer any of this to Jesus. He kind of welcomed him at arm's length. You know, I'm going to see. I'm just going to sit you here and we'll see. So the way he welcomed Jesus was very formal, but not warm or cordial. But it's interesting, the woman was a very different story. Her lavish welcome of Jesus was motivated by her love. She experienced Jesus' love toward her and couldn't stop expressing to him his, her love for him for the forgiveness he had shown her. She understood her sinful condition and welcomed Jesus as the one who would connect her to God, her plug to God. Simon didn't see his need for forgiveness, believing instead his good life and works would save him. He didn't see himself as a sinner like the woman. He didn't need a connection to God. It's interesting. The other guests, though, that were watching what was happening, they also saw Jesus, I think, as a thug. They thought instead of celebrating this woman's forgiveness, they questioned Jesus, even in a condescending kind of way. Who is this who even forgives sins? Who does this man think he is? In this situation, this woman left with her need of forgiveness met. Simon and the other guests continued to resist Jesus, choosing to believe they could save themselves. So as I thought about this in my own life, I thought, sometimes Jesus has to thug us before we can accept him as our plug. And he does this by showing us our true sinfulness. He becomes our plug when we, by faith, accept his death as payment for our sins. Jesus thugs us for our good so he can become our plug to God. We think about a thug or someone comes into our life as a thug, we call it. They come in to bring pain leading to harm in our lives. They want to hurt us for what they believe is their good. But Jesus, as a thug, is, he wants the, the pain he allows in our lives to be for our good. He thugs us by showing us our sinfulness. So that we might respond in sorrow. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians, godly sorrow brings repentance, leads to salvation. That leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. If you've heard Pastor Jay's testimony, I think about if he went, as he went to the church service planning how he's going to retaliate against a man. He, he's, in his own words, he said, I was planning to go out and, and kill this man. And so when they got to the part of the service where they welcomed people to come for prayer, he said, it's time to go, because he knew what he was planning. So as he walked out of the service, 
God met him. In that instance, I said that Jesus thugged him by telling him he was going to die. He brought the truth to him. If you keep going this way, this is where it's going to lead. And that led to Pastor Jay returning to the church to find Jesus as his plug to God. Same happened to me in my life. Even though I don't have the same story as Jay, I thought I grew up, I knew the Bible. And I lived a good life, I thought, because I was hiding my sins from others. But Jesus still met me. And in, my, in the terminology, he thugged me, saying, you're sinful. I don't care how much you know of the Bible. I don't care how much you can hide from others. I know you. You're still sinful. Only by placing my faith in Jesus' death and resurrection for the forgiveness of my sins could I enjoy him as my connection to God. And it's true for all of us. And Jesus continues to show this to me in my life. You know, I've, I'm by no means perfect. I keep doing things, and he has to keep showing me, showing up in my life as a thug in some ways to show me what I'm truly like. Once when we were serving in Africa, I was leading the ministry in a certain country, and a staff member lied to me. So I confronted him, and he denied it. So I made it my mission to get him to confess and agree with me that he had lied. I started to involve our leaders to put pressure on him. And finally, when I had the evidence that he couldn't deny, he confessed and agreed that he had lied. So I felt vindicated. I was right. And I asked him, I said, why, why didn't you confess the first time when I, when I showed you? And tell me the truth. And he said, uh, he said he was afraid. I was afraid of what? He said, I, I, he believed I wanted to use this against him. And that's when Jesus hit me with the truth. Because I wanted to say, no, no. I didn't want to use, I just want to know the truth. But what he said was true. Jesus showed me that I did want to use against him. On another occasion, he had gone against my counsel on a very important decision. And I either wanted him to fall in line with me or to leave. And so I was looking for a way to put pressure on him. And either get him to agree with me or leave. So, yes, I was wanting to use it his harm. And that was really hard because as a leader, you're thinking, how could I stoop to this place? But I was there. And I wanted to rationalize my action and justify them, you know? But I knew I was wrong. And Jesus said, you're wrong. You have sinned. What are you going to do? And so I turned to my brother and I said, I'm sorry. You're right. That was hard. I said, I, will you forgive me? And he did forgive me. I repented and allowed Jesus to be my plug again in my life. And I do that over and over as I see the sin in my life and Jesus shows me. And he's, he so loves me, he's willing to be a thug in my life to show me so I can be more like him and, and be connected to him. I don't know about uh, you this morning, but I do know that God wants to be the plug in your life to connect you to God. The question is, will you let him to let him be your plug, you need to confess. And confession involves three things. First, you have to agree that you have sinned. In that situation with that young man, had I not agreed, I couldn't have gone any farther. But I had to say, yes, Father, I have sinned. And that's what he's asking for us. Be like the lady who came and wept at Jesus' feet and said, I am a sinful person. I need your forgiveness. And instead of like the Pharisee is like, I don't need it, I'm good. 
How will we respond? When Jesus shows us our sins, will we agree and say yes? And then once we see our sinfulness for what it really is, we can thank him for dying on the cross to pay for all of our sins. We don't have to suffer from him. He can do it. He's taken that upon himself. So we agree with him, we thank him, and then we allow him to take his place as the Lord of our lives, turning our lives over to him. Either for the first time, if you've never done that, or if you're like me and the story of this young man, do it again and again and again. As he shows you your sinfulness, we need to do that. As I finish and and pray for us this morning, um, there will be myself and others will be here to uh, pray for you during communion. If you feel like you would like to come and, and pray and and be with us during a time of confession, we're here for you. Or even after the service, grab me. I'd love to pray for you. Because I would love to see you experience the joy of knowing Jesus as your plug to God. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for this morning and for this passage that shows us that You do come into our lives, and you're disruptive. You show things. We could even see you as, in this terminology, a thug, someone who's come to bring pain. And you do allow pain in their lives, but it's to conform us to Christ. And so, Father, may we receive that from you and, and be real with you about our sins. May we agree that we have sinned. May we thank you for your death on our behalf. And then may we give you control of our lives to make us who you want us to be. So thank you for this passage, this message that we've heard this morning. And I pray that none of us will leave here this morning without knowing that we are connected to you in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, We will have communion during this song, and so we welcome you to come uh, and uh, celebrate communion with us. And if you are wanting prayer, I will be at the front and, and others. So. Thank you.